Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service this morning. It's good to see your faces. Nice, beautiful, sunny day. Uh, good opportunity to come together and to worship the Lord. We are really here for one purpose. Uh, we are really here so that we can um, understand a little bit more about one person, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he becomes our everything, and he becomes all that we want to know about. He changes everything. Our brother shared during communion, as we were breaking bread, he shared something. He, he made a comment, and I'm not sure if he understood the weight of his comment that he made. I think he did, but um, he said that everything's different because of the cross. Everything's different because of the cross. And it really is. It really is different because of the cross. Um, if there was no such thing as the cross of Christ, you'd be all different. There'd be, you wouldn't be who you are today. And uh, we are absolutely indebted to the cross. We are completely grateful for what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And may we never forget the, the, the depth the width, the length, the height of the love of Christ that he showed us. I tell you what, you can search your whole life for someone to love you the way he loves you and you never find it. You will never find it. And that's why a lot of times couples look to each other to find this intense love that they long for in their hearts but they find their, their partner often can dis disappoint them. Because ultimately what you're looking for deep in your soul, deep in your soul, is the love of Christ. And when you have that, then you can pour out this love to your partner, to your friends, to your family. Because it's this love of Christ that can only hit the out part of your soul that no person can ever do. It's the love of Christ. And how great is this love? And, and everything is different because of the cross. We are really grateful for the cross. And that's why it really it, it, it encourages me to see so many people um, come that little bit extra early at 10 o'clock to break bread together um, and to remember that cross, you know, how, how great that work was on the cross. And I encourage you as Christians, believers, believers who've been baptised, I encourage you to come and join us in a break bread Everything is really different because of the cross uh, and everything they did for us. But I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to pray um, and ask the Lord's blessing on this morning. Our loving Father, we are so grateful to you that you have brought us to this place where we can worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We worship the foot of the cross, the place that saved us, the place that restored us. We are forever grateful for this love that is so intense and so amazing that cannot be found anywhere else. No matter how hard we search, no matter how long and how far and wide we go, this love cannot be found anywhere else. And we thank you for this. But Father, we bring your word before you this morning. We, we ask you, Lord God, that uh, you may speak to our hearts and speak to our lives. Uh, it's all about you, Jesus. And we just pray that your blessing upon us now as we, as we open your word and we listen. We ask this, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
First Corinthians in the New Testament in chapter 10. And uh, I want to read a couple of verses for you in this chapter, verses that you, I'm sure you're familiar with, a lot of you, give you a bit of a context to this chapter as well, and share with you hopefully a message of hope this morning, a message of hope and encouragement this morning to you. Uh, in the light of all that we go through and all that we experience in life, there is always hope, and that hope is found in Jesus Christ. We can go everywhere, we can run everywhere that we want to run to, um, but the Lord Jesus Christ stands for us and stands with us and becomes our rock and our fortress. He becomes our defender. He becomes the high tower that the righteous run to and are glad. He becomes the one that we look to the heavens. That's where our help comes from. He's the one that made the heavens and the earth. And so our creator, our God, our maker stands with us, goes before us because that's who he is. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He never sleeps nor he slumbers. That's the God that he is. And because of all these things, we come and bow down, we worship him, we thank him for everything that he's done for us. But in that, we have this choice that we make to hold on and to cling on to the promises of Jesus and not fall for the trap of the enemy that says, oh, in this you're going to be defeated, in this you're going to give up, in this you have to give in, in this you have to sin. And we don't fall for the trap of the enemy that plants these thoughts and these ideas in our minds and allows us to perhaps lose hope and lose faith and therefore give in when we never needed to give in, we always could stand and find ourselves standing because of the strength that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us. And I pray this morning that we're able to see that and be encouraged by that. I have no idea how long this message will go for. Um, I suspect it will probably be over two or three weeks. Um, otherwise, we'll be here for a very long time today. Uh, but whatever, whatever I share with you, I pray that it's encouraging uh, and I pray that it helps in, in some ways. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, just to start with, let's read verses 12 and 13, um, and then I'll give you a context to it as well. Verse 12, the Apostle Paul is the author, of course. He's writing this to the people in Corinth, and he says to them, Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Verse 13, because no temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Interesting passage. The Apostle Paul has given, um, just prior to this, has given a whole range of Old Testament examples, and like a historian I guess he's sort of talking a bit about what's happened in the past that we may learn about the past so we can do better in the future and what he's doing here he's just gone through and he's explained all these different examples of people God's people in the Old Testament who really messed up they did things that they ought not to have done they did things that offended God they did things that disobeyed God they did things ultimately that not only offended and disobeyed God but damaged their own souls. And Paul's taken those examples, a number of them, the way they complained, the way they lusted, the way they did things in a very fleshly, carnal way, and he's taken these examples and he's saying, we've got to learn from these guys. We have to learn from these people. We can't look at these people and think, oh, see, that's why I do this, because look what they did. That's not why he's given them to us. As some might twist to their own destruction. As some may twist and say, oh, 
great, lucky. So glad there are people in the Bible who have done this because that just explains why I do it. That's a whole wrong way of looking at the Scriptures. That's not what the Bible intended. That's not how the Scriptures were written. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes to effort, an extra effort in this passage, to tell us that they are there for our example. And we'll see that soon. So he gives these examples of people, people who did the wrong thing, people who did mess up, people who did disobey God, so that we can learn from them and that we can do better. Why can we do better? Because we're better than them? Absolutely not. We can do better because something happened between them and us. It was called the cross. Because what happened between the Old and New Testament was the cross, that changed everything. And because of the cross and what Jesus Christ did, you and I can do better, we can be better, not because we are better, but because of what Jesus does in us. And if we choose to believe and trust in him, we choose to also believe that God can do this work in us, and he does. He that's begun a work in you will complete it. He who started this work will complete it. This is the work that God does, and this is the work that God promises. When we choose to believe this, and we choose to believe in the goodness and the love of God, we choose to believe in what God is able to do, and we see the fruit in our lives. God forbid that that ever turns into a religious way of living. Because what God has called us to is a relationship with Him. And I don't care if you've had a background of Christianity. I don't care if you've been to church all your life. I don't care if you were baptized as a baby. I don't, I, I'm not worried about all these things. What I'm worried about, what I'm concerned about, is how you're living today. What's your faith like today? That's what God is concerned about. You can tell me about all the amazing churches you've been to and all the ways you've been involved in Christian service, but at the end of the day, your relationship with God today is what, God, what matters to God the most. And God is intended, God is wanting to keep working in our lives so that our relationship with Him continues to grow and continues to be strengthened. And sometimes trials and temptations come along the journey of this walk so that our relationship with Him can grow stronger. In fact, trials and temptations sometimes show us that we need a relationship with Him. Sometimes trials and temptations reveal that we don't have a relationship with Him. Do you understand? But often for the Christian, unfortunately, trials and temptations are designed to strengthen our faith and deepen our relationship with God. And God's choice to make this relationship strong is so that we would never fall into a place of being religious, a place of just doing church or living like a Christian kind of is expected to live. And I would hope that you guys would come and tell me if this church ever became religious. I would hope that you'd be comfortable enough to come up and say to me, you know what, I think we're becoming a little bit religious because we're sort of just, we're doing church like churches do church, and, but there's no life in this church and, and we're just sort of going through the motions of what churches do and I would hope you'd feel comfortable because you care for the church, you care for the kingdom that you would come and say, this isn't looking right, what, what, why am I feeling uncomfortable about this? And, and, and then I could share with you and we could talk, to, even pray, we could pray together if that became the case. 
And so God wants to spare us from this place of being religious and, 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 um, and have rather to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to start with a very simple question this morning. And that is, do you have a relationship with Christ? Now, before you say, yeah, of course, yeah, I've got a relationship with God, before, you, before you're quick to answer that, just take a moment to think about it. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Think about what a relationship looks like. Think about what it means to have a relationship with someone. Think about the intimacy, the honesty, the fellowship, the, the, the spending the time together, the, the, the pouring out of love for one another, the, the, the absolute commitment to that person and to nobody else. And then take the relationship with Christ to another level and the whole thing about being prepared to even lose your life for him. So do we have a relationship with Jesus? Or have we become religious? Well, in some ways, this passage allows us to examine that. And that's good. That's good. Lest we get to the end of our lives and realize, oh my goodness, what did I have? It's good for us to be able to take the opportunity and to continue to examine that. Because I think Paul gives us a little bit of an insight to why he gives this passage and he kind of concludes with it. And I think this is one of the reasons why he wants to give us this passage. And it's right at the end in verse 31. Or towards the end, he says in verse 31, Therefore, whatever you eat or, or whatever you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I think what Paul's doing here gives us a bit of a glimpse of why he even tells us what he tells us in this passage. He tells us a little bit about what he wants us to do. And he gives us all these things and he gives us all these instructions and he gives us all these ideas of how to live our faith. And he says, I want you to remember something because everything that we do, whether we eat or whether we drink or whatever we're doing, whether we're in relationships with our parents, our children, our friendships, our workplaces, our church, whatever we're doing, we do to the glory of God. What is the glory of God? How do we even see that? What does it even look like to live for the glory of God? When I go out with, with friends or I'm um, having people over or I'm having dinner with someone or, or I'm at work, or what does even the glory of God look like? Because that's what Paul's asking me to do. Whatever I do, whether I eat or drink, or whatever I'm doing, I do for the glory of God. What does that even look like? Well, I take it very simply. I ask myself this. Is, is, am I, me, am I out of the picture so that Christ, Him, can be seen by everyone? I think that's not a bad way of looking at it. Do I get out of the way so that everyone can see him and not me in how I talk, how I live, how I love, how I respond, uh, how I am, how I think, what I say, what I do? Do I get out of the way? And do I allow Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and everything about him to be the one that people see? Because that's really all they need to see, isn't it? And so they'll see the glory of God if I let them see Jesus in me. They'll see everything God is if I let them see who Jesus is. And if I can just get out of the way and get off my high horse and think to myself, you know what? Oh, you know what? It's actually not about me. And allow Jesus and all his ways to be seen through me, then just perhaps 
by God's grace and by God's goodness, who they'll see is Jesus. And that's who they'll fall in love with. And so the Apostle Paul warns, instructs, encourages, he gives us all these things as he talks to this church, he talks to us, he talks to me. And the first thing he tells him in verse 12, he says, Therefore, in light of everything that I've told you and everything so far that I've said to you about these examples to us, verse 12, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That's a really interesting um, uh, phrase. It's a really interesting instruction because it's loaded with a lot of assumptions. It's basically saying that we are people who, by our very nature, we are people who can fall into the trap of thinking, hey, you know what? I'm doing pretty well here. I'm doing okay here. I- I- life's going good. And, and in that thinking, actually um, forgets or-, or-, or become misguided in this idea that if I go ahead and start thinking about this too much or too highly, I'm going to find myself slipping. So there's an element where God is reminding us that we've got to really stay humble in the way we're living our lives and really remain sober-minded in the way we're living life. Oh, this ministry that I'm involved in, it's going so well. Oh, this is awesome. But even in that, remembering, remembering how you even got there, how you even got to faith, let alone how you even got to that ministry, and allowing God to remind us all the time that if anyone thinks he stands, to take heed lest he falls. See, the other assumption that's built, in, built into this is that God's plan, God's plan for you and for me, always is that we stand. This isn't a passage to say God's plan for you and I is that we fall. This whole thing is loaded with the idea that God's intention is that we stand. It's just saying, take heed, lest you fall. It's not saying, take heed because you're going to fall. It's just saying, take heed, because if you don't, you will fall. But my intention is that you stand, because Jesus came to bring life. He didn't come that you would become like this um, yo-yo of life experiences, that one day you're living really well, and the next day you're not. And No, he wants us to live life well. He knows challenges will come. He un- the Bible's full of that. The Bible's full of the challenges and the trials of life and the temptations of life, some that you know better than I, some that bring intense heartache. Heartache that you couldn't imagine. But God is, God is reminding us in all this who He is and what He's able to do in those times. But God's plan in, in this very verse is that we would stand. And so He gives these examples before this of all these people and the kinds of things that... Uh, that they, that they did. Never to glory in their examples, but rather to learn from them um, and, and, and be better, as I, said, as I said before. Psalm 18, verse 36 says this. Psalm 18, verse 36, 36 says this. You enlarged my path under me, so my feet did not slip. Did you hear that? You enlarged my feet under me, you enlarge my path, sorry, under me, so that my feet would not slip. What an amazing verse. The psalmist acknowledged something. He says, God, I know that what you do in order to help me in life, you don't allow me to go on some sort of slippery 
path. What you do, because I put my trust in you, you actually don't even allow me to walk in this tightrope of life where if I take one little step, maybe I'm going to fall off to my destruction. What you do, Lord, is you enlarge my path. As I trust you, you make this path even wider for me so that I am stable and my foot does not slip. So I walk life with a sense of humble confidence that I don't have to fall at every temptation and trial in life. I don't have to feel vulnerable when something comes my way. Oh no, I fell last time, I'm going to fall again. No, God doesn't do that with life. He doesn't make you fearful of temptation. He enlarges your path so you walk confidently, you foresee the evil, as the Bible says, and you hide yourself. You learn how to overcome. And so the psalmist acknowledges God's goodness and he says, you just enlarge my path so that my foot doesn't slip. But sadly, in the Old Testament, there are a number of examples of people who slipped. Now, this is the test. Because we can look at these examples as some people do and unfortunately some people use. And we can think, oh, look at who? Classic person, David. Don't people say that? Look at King David. Here he was, sitting on his porch. I don't remember exactly where he was. Sitting on his porch. All the guys are off at battle. And King David's sitting on his porch and Uriah's wife catches his eye. Bathsheba. Catches his eye. And here she is, I think, bathing. What he's doing, sitting on a porch, looking, I'm not sure. But anyway, she catches his eye. His mind starts to work and his flesh starts to work. And all of a sudden, he finds himself eventually, over the process of time, committing adultery with her. And if that's not enough, killing her husband in the process. Oh, wow. Now, we can look at David and think, oh, look at that, you know. He's a man like me who, who, who fell for something that was, just got stronger than himself. Yeah, we could. We can look at him before the cross and think, yeah, that's true. Or we can look at him, as the Bible says, for our example, that we may learn from this and understand that anything we entertain, we're going to fall. But rather, consider the wisdom of God, and the Bible says, flee youthful lust. Flee, get out of there. And by the power of God, experience His Spirit working in us, and allowing us not to think, doesn't matter, I'm strong because I can stand through this. Because anyone who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. And using the wisdom that God has given us and the instruction through his word to get out from something before it becomes a problem. And by God's power and by God's spirit, that brings hope into the life of people rather than me counseling someone and saying, yeah, what do you expect, man? It's just life, isn't it? And we bring hope into that person's life. So David's an example, a great example for us of what not to do because we have the cross and the power of the Spirit who works in the life of those who trust Him and lay down their lives before Him. And then we bring up another example. We think, oh, what about good old Samson? Strong bloke. 
could um, break the shackles literally of life and chains and have physical strength like no other man because of the length of his hair, had strength like no other man because of the length of his hair, and yet the endearment of a woman was able to cause him to fall. Again, we could look at Samson and think, well, you know, he's a, he's a good man, a strong man, and even strong men fall. And we can twist it in all many ways to our destruction. Or we can say, hang on, no. Samson's there as an example of what not to do. And the power of God to set us free from all things. And I'm not talking about women. I'm talking about anything that comes our way that wants to... That, that plays on our mind and heart and draw our attention away from God and, and eventually into sin, whatever that looks like. In fact, interestingly, uh, we won't turn to it today, but interestingly, Proverbs 7, in particular, six, verses 6 to 27, goes to the effort, goes to this length, this effort of talking about the slippery path down to sin. It's incredible the way it describes it. And the naivety of the, the person at the start of that passage, just taking those first initial steps towards something that he knows he shouldn't do. And then being met by someone who entices him even more. And then finally finding himself doing what he shouldn't be doing, leading to his death. It's an incredible passage of what any sin, any sin is capable of doing to us once we take those first initial steps that says, Oh, you know what? I want to entertain this. And it goes to length to describe to us what, it, what will happen if we choose to go down this path because anyone who thinks he stands, it's okay, it's just a few steps. I'm just, it's just playing around, whatever it is. But anyone who thinks he stands, the Bible's instruction is clear, take heed lest you fall because those few steps, yes, they might seem safe initially, seem safe initially, they're heading on the way to um, um, destruction. God's good, isn't he? God's good to give us a whole chapter almost dedicated to it, to teach us. In fact, it ends with this. And please, don't, don't think of the word she as woman. Yes, it is referring to woman, but she is anything. could be anything, anything that entices us. But it ends with this. It says, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Yeah? Men who thought they were strong. People who thought they had it all together. And they could play around and dabble a little bit. No. As Paul tells us, therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he falls. Fast forward to the New Testament and just before the cross, we see Peter. Peter and sadly, his denial of Jesus. Just before the cross. And Jesus had warned him and said, Peter, I know what you're saying to me, Peter, but before the cock crows twice, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And I don't know about you, I could have this wrong, but I think this is what the Bible is telling us, and you may have a different opinion, you may have seen this for yourself, but interestingly, in the Gospel of Mark, Peter denies Jesus once, and then the rooster crows. Then he denies him two more times, and the rooster crows again. So why does that happen even? 
Why does the Bible go to the detail of telling us Peter denies him the first time and then the rooster crows? I think what God is saying to us is this. What God is saying to Peter is this. Peter, remember what I said? He's the first crow. Peter, remember what I said. You've got a choice now. And then he goes and denies twice more and then the rooster crows again. And he goes and he weeps bitterly. Because the warning's there. How many times is there a warning? (laughs) And so God is good and God is faithful. God is generous. God is just so much wanting to tell us of what we can do. That he gives us all these things and encourages us in all these ways. And then fortunately, we have, rather than everyone saying to us, but all these blokes in the Old Testament, oh, you know, look at them all. That's why we do what we do. No, because then fortunately, we have someone like Joseph in the Old Testament who's doing, going about his business, being faithful to Potiphar, one of the guards of Pharaoh. In fact, he had so much control, the Bible says, that Potiphar only knew about the bread he ate. Everything else was in Joseph's hands. That's how much control and authority Joseph had in Potiphar's house. And you know the story. Potiphar's wife, her own issues, her eyes longed for Joseph. She wanted him. And Joseph's communication to her was very clearly clear. Listen, leave me alone. Your, your husband's given me everything except you. I don't want you. Leave me alone. But day after day after day after day, he, she persisted. And he resisted. Good on him. But it came at a cost, didn't it? It came at a cost. Because he resisted, if you like, unto bloodshed. He resisted and he resisted and he resisted until the point where he fled one day and she grabbed his garments. She fled. And of course, she's left in trouble. What is she going to do now? (laughs) She's got his garment. (laughs) He's not here. And she falsely accuses him of trying to um, make advances on her. Ends up in jail because of it. It comes at a cost. That's all right. That's fine. It will come at a cost to resist sin. It will come at a cost to not give in to your flesh. It will come at a cost to not say yes to everything you just feel like doing. It will come at a cost, just like it did for Christ. But it's a good cost. It's a good cost because what they see then is they see me get out of the way and they see Christ in me. And hopefully that's who they fall in love with. And so we have people like, yes, we, have, we can use examples like David and Samson, but I like to use examples like Joseph and Daniel, who are able to resist sin and find themselves standing, even before the cross. And today we have the great news of Jesus coming for us. Galatians 6 says this, Brethren, if any man is overtaken by a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And so Paul tells the, uh, the Galatians, he tells them to be careful. He basically repeats what he says here, take heed lest you fall. He says, if anyone you know is caught up in something, if you're going to go and help them, go and help them. But go in the spirit of meekness because if you don't, you don't consider yourself, you might find yourself tempted as well and you might find yourself 
um, falling for either the same or different types of sin. You might become proud in the, in the process. You may become frustrated in the process. So he says, he that it's spiritual, go and restore them. But watch yourself in the process. Watch yourself. Lest you get caught up in either the same or something different. He goes on to say, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone, listen, it says it again. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, it's interesting. If you think yourself to be something, when you're nothing, you deceive yourself, he says. I like that. When I'm tempted to think myself to be something, and I think, oh, look how good I am, look how great I do these things, you know, uh, look what people think of me. Well, really? No, hang on a second. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, well, he deceives himself. Am I nothing? Well, yeah, in some aspects, I am nothing because Christ is everything. And that keeps me sober-minded. So if people don't applaud me, it's all right. If people don't always thank me, that's all right. It's fine. As long as they're walking strong with the Lord, that's good. I'm happy. As long as they're walking close to Jesus, that's good. I'm comforted. Because it's Jesus. We get out of the way so people can see him and hopefully that's who they fall in love with. But, let it, but it goes on to say, but let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So, in all these examples, the Apostle Paul says in verse 11, if you just go back one verse, he says, now all these happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So he just, he's, he wants to, um, um, summarize those examples and every example I've given you so far he wants to summarize it and say well they're our examples and so we can't fast forward months, years down the track we can't go and say to ourselves I didn't know or even worse one day be before the Lord himself and say I did not know Because thank God for his goodness that he teaches us and he reminds us in his words just what he asks of us. So brothers and sisters, we don't need to fall. But I know pride will always precede a fall. So take heed lest we fall. The book of Jude says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And that's who we're talking about today in Jude. Now to him, that's Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling. Do we believe that this morning? Is our hope rested in that? Can we put our confidence in that? Not in my ability, not in the men before the cross, but in everything he did and the great sacrifice he made for me and the spirit that he gave me and the instruction that he reaches out to me and asks of me. Now to him who is able to keep me from stumbling. I'm going to choose to believe this, brothers and sisters. Will you choose to believe it with me? Will you walk out of this room today and say, no, I can't believe it, 
I can't believe this. I, I, I can't do it. Will you choose to believe with me now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy? What great hope do we have, yeah? What a great hope that we have. In fact, we can take the words of Jesus who told his disciples to watch and pray, lest what? We fall into temptation. That if we choose to watch and be watchful and to pray and intently believing, that we can believe and we can see what we will see, that if we watch and pray, we can see that we won't need to fall into temptation. I think that's great hope, yeah? That's incredible hope. I think that's a gospel that's worth preaching. That's a gospel worth sharing. That's a message worth giving people. That is a message that is life-changing and life-giving. Hey, let me start with what I, let me end with what I began with. Because of the cross, everything's different. That's a great message. Not my message, the message of Christ. That's a great message. I'd like to keep going, but I'm not going to because of time, because I want to talk next week about how everything is common to man, yet God makes a way for us. But I do pray this morning, what we take away is a real uh, a conviction, a belief that this is a message that Jesus has given us to have great hope, knowing that the path ahead of us isn't a tightrope, that if we just, we might always going to, um, stumble and fall, but it's a, an enlarged path that he's given us that our foot may not slip because of what he did for us, because of his great work for us. Let's pray. Join me as we pray this morning. Let's choose this morning to believe the words of the Apostle Paul that if anyone thinks he stands to take heed lest he fall because God's plan, God's intention is that we don't fall. God's plan and intention is that we do stand. Let's remember his words and say that uh, whether we're eating or drinking or whatever we're doing, uh, we're doing for the glory of God. And so that we get out of the way and we allow Jesus to live his life through us because we lay down our lives before him. We surrender who we are so that the life of Christ is able to live and reign in us. And through this we see the power of the gospel, the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection working through us. We are thankful, we are in debt to the, what he did for us on the cross. We, as we've, I've been saying for a long time, we are just earthen vessels that the demonstration of the power may be of us, uh, may be of him rather, and not of us. Let's come and as we bow our heads before the Lord, let's reflect on the words this morning as we continue to trust in Him. Let's reflect on these words. Let's reflect as we sing. And we'll close in prayer.